Chapter Eighteen of Three People by Pansy. The Slibrivox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen. Wine is a mocker. Theodore or Mallory, which was the name grown most familiar to him, was rushing downtown, belated and in haste. The business which had called him out had taken longer than the time which had been assigned to it, and in consequence the next appointment was likely to suffer at the corner he paused and considered let me see if i go down this block and up the track to the next corner i shall save one two three four blocks yes it will pay i'll do it on he went struck the track presently and moved rapidly along the iron walk an unusual sight suddenly presented itself to his eyes that of a carriage and two powerful horses coming around the curve and making a carriage drive of the railway track it took but a moment of time to discover three things that is that it was the hastings carriage that the coachman was beyond a doubt too much intoxicated to know what he was about and that the buffalo express was due at the distant depot in just two minutes and must pass over the very track on which that carriage was trundling along the perspiration came and stood in beads on the young man's pale face but there was time for no other show of emotion he must think and work rapidly if at all could he possibly get those horses across to the other track in time no for there was a perfect network of tracks just here no place for a carriage at all and a puffing engine directly ahead liable to start at any instant and ready to frighten the horses who would probably rear, plunge, back, do anything but what he wished of them. There was a wretched gully on this side, and a fence, but the fence was low, and the gully wide enough to receive the carriage if it could be forced down the embankment. During this planning, Mallory was running with all speed toward the carriage, and then the depot bell began to ring, and the roar and puff of the coming train could be distinctly heard the horses began to plunge and make ready to break into a fierce run right into the jaws of the coming monster when a firm hand grasped their bridles jonas had just sense enough left to try to resist this proceeding and mallory saw with a throb of thankfulness the whip drop from his unsteady hand thus preventing the horses from being lashed into greater fury then he applied all the strength of his arms and his knowledge of horses to the dangerous experiment of backing them down into the gully they snorted and plunged and were bent on going forward and were steadily as it seemed with superhuman strength forced backward and as the carriage crashed down the hill the very rearing of the horses drew theodore's feet from the outer rail and the train came thundering by and now the affrighted horses seemed more than ever bent on rushing forward to destruction while the long train shot onward mallory while he battled with them became conscious that from the raised window of the carriage a young face deathly in pallor was bent forward watching the conflict and he renewed the determination to save that life thus resting so far as human help was concerned in his hands jonas had dropped the reins and sat aghast and sobered with terror now the long train had vanished 
the puffing engine on the other track had gathered up its forces and followed after and theodore by a dint of coaxing soothing and commanding the terror-stricken animals had succeeded in subduing them in part and guiding the carriage up the bank and quite across the network of tracks then gathering the reins in his hand he came to the carriage window and spoke using in his excitement the name familiar to him in the days when she had given him his first lessons in writing there is no cause for further alarm dora i will see that you reach home in safety not one word to him did dora utter but she clasped her trembling hands and said with white lips thank god and the young man added reverently and meaningly amen then he sprang to the driver's seat and uttered two short firm words to the cowed and sober driver get down never was a command more promptly obeyed there were five minutes yet before the next train would be due time enough to make his way carefully along the uncertain road built only for iron horses but the peril had been too recent for the young man not to make eager haste nor did he draw a long full breath of relief until the last hated rail had been crossed and the corner turned on the broad smooth avenue it was a nervous sort of a drive even then for the horses had a torrent of pent-up strength and had not so entirely recovered from their terror but that they were listening to every sound looking right and left for suspicious objects and apparently on the cavive for an excuse for running away how theodore blessed rick and the livery stable and the man who fifty years before had taken for his motto learn everything you possibly can about everything that can be learned as with skilful hand he guided the fidgety span carefully and safely through the maze of cart and carriage and omnibus wheels that lined the streets and even then and there he laughed a half nervous half amused laugh as he passed the euclid house and saw one of the waiters looking out at him from a dining-room window at the thought that that first burning ambition of his life was at last gratified and he was actually occupying the coveted position of driver for the hastings carriage the contrasts which his life presented again struck him oddly a few moments after when mr hall waiting to cross the street recognized and touched his hat to him with a wondering curious glance mr hall was an elder in their church and superintendent of their sabbath school and theodore had himself cashed a draft for him in mr stevens's private office not two hours before he laughed a little now at the thought of mr hall's bewilderment over his sudden change of business and then presently laughed again at the thought that there should be anything incongruous in his toad mall that was turning coachman at last the carriage turned into the beautiful elm-lined carriage drive that led to the hastings mansion and drew up presently with a skilful flourish at the side door the same john for whom theodore used occasionally to run of errands for two cents a trip came forward and stared furiously as the young man threw him the reins and opened the carriage door dora's composure had lost itself in a fit of trembling 
and her teeth chattered so that she could not speak as he led her up the broad flight of steps they were all in the hall mr hastings hat in hand just departing for the stables mrs hastings in a state of transit from dining-room to drawing-room and pliny lounging on a sofa his head done up in wet bandages he sprang to his feet however when theodore advanced still supporting his companion and questioned eagerly what the dickens is to pay that gentleman chose to make things more comfortable before he answered he unceremoniously appropriated sofa and cushions for the almost fainting girl and said peremptorily bring a glass of water mr hastings that fan if you please don't be alarmed mrs hastings she will be all right in a few moments then there was no resisting the storm of questions that followed and he told the story as briefly as possible only trying to impress one thought that liquor was at the bottom of what had so nearly been a tragedy dora revived sufficiently to impress the fact that but for him she would not have been there to speak and mr hastings in his excitement and exasperation against poor jonas whose quarter paid for the liquor which had almost brought death into their home and would help to swell mr hastings's own cash account on this saturday evening recognized in this deliverer of his child poor ignorant degraded toad mall and forgot the lapse of time and possible changes of position and seeking to do him honor and do a safe thing for his family at the same time spoke hurriedly where is that villain of a coachman i'll discharge him this very hour you must be a good driver toad or you never could have gotten here alive with those horses after such a time don't you want the position of coachman papa said dora sitting erect and with scarlet cheeks mr mallory is mr s s stevens's confidential clerk then the great man turned and looked on his ex-waiter at the euclid house the erect well-built well-dressed young man standing hat in hand with a curious blending of dignity and amusement on his face and actually stammered and muttered something about not noticing not thinking not meaning and everlasting obligations in the midst of which the ex-coachman glanced at his watch noticed the lateness of the hour in some dismay signalled from the window a passing car and hurriedly made his escape this lengthy and unexpected interruption made a grievous tangle in his day's work arrived at the store he flew about in eager haste and then rushed with more than usual speed to the bank just five minutes too late the last shutter was being closed as he reached the steps the first failure he said to himself in a disappointed tone but it can hardly be said to be my fault this time his next engagement was an appointment to dine with mr stevens at four o'clock and with that too he was a little behind time well sir said mr stevens meeting him in the hall as sure as i'm alive you are five minutes behind time i begin to be encouraged it seems that you are a compound of flesh and blood after all theodore smiled faintly his peril was too recent for him to have regained his usual demeanor here is your mail 
he said passing over a handful of letters and papers by being ten minutes late i was enabled to get the latest news and i see there is a lyon letter among them ah said mr stevens that is fortunate for lyon suppose we step into the library mallory and see what they say for themselves so the two passed into the business room and ran over the contents of the letter in question as well as several others conversing together in a manner which showed that the younger man had a marked knowledge of the other's business affairs and that his opinions were listened to as if they carried weight with them but the mail was not what detained me said theodore presently and mr stevens i was too late for the bank well it will do to-morrow will it not queried the elder gentleman composedly oh yes sir it will do but then you know it is not the way in which we do business mr stevens laughed i used to consider myself the most prompt and particular man living he said gaily but i believe you are going to make one several notches above me i am really curious to know what has thrown you out of your orbit this afternoon theodore's face flushed i have been permitted to prevent a murder this afternoon even after a father had furnished the weapons for his daughter's destruction he said speaking sharply he was very savage on that question of intemperance horrible said mr stevens looking aghast mallory what do you mean and then followed a recital of the afternoon's adventures had theodore mallory been the hero of a first-class novel he would have remained modestly and obstinately silent about a matter in which he had taken so prominent a part but being very like a flesh-and-blood young man it did not occur to him to hesitate or stammer in fact he thought he had succeeded in doing a good brave deed and he was very glad and thankful presently they left the library and went toward the parlor do you know i have another guest to-day asked mr stevens as they went down the hall together a mr ryan a lawyer i think you are not acquainted with him ryan said theodore looking puzzled and racking his memory the name sounds familiar but oh and then he laughed edgar ryan the same do you know him why yes sir i used to know him very well served him every day at the euclid house did you indeed well i know very little about him save that his father was a good friend to me once when mr stevens presented his confidential clerk to mr ryan there was a start a look of bewilderment and confused recollection accompanied by a sudden roguish twinkle of recognition and then the polished lawyer became oblivious to the existence of toad mall and habakkuk and bottles and greeted mr mallory in a manner that became a guest of mr stevens toward mr stevens's honored clerk then they all went out to dinner and the dinner progressed finely until the coffee and dessert were served and mr stevens had dismissed the waiters and prepared for a halfway business talk then suddenly his clerk gave a quick nervous push from him of the plate on which quivered a tiny mound of jelly its symmetry destroyed by just one mouthful 
and the crimson blood rolled to his very forehead his confusion was too apparent and continued to admit of being overlooked and mr stevens asked with a mixture of curiosity and anxiety what is the trouble mallory mr stevens said theodore earnestly with just a little tremble of pain in his voice you have made me disregard for the first time in my life the only prayer that my mother ever prayed for me mr stevens who knew the story of his life looked bewildered and troubled and said gently i don't understand theodore while mr ryan's eyes had the roguish twinkle in them again because he did understand theodore silently inclined his head toward the rejected plate oh said mr stevens looking relieved do you object to the wine jelly why my dear boy isn't that almost straining a point i don't understand the art of interfering with cookery this is an excellent opportunity for me began mr ryan i have been wishing enlightenment for a long time on an abstruse question connected with the temperance theory mr mallory you are a staunch upholder of the cause i believe may i question you theodore had regained his composure and was quietly sipping his coffee you may sir certainly he said playfully i believe nothing is easier than to ask questions whether i can answer them or not is of course another matter mr ryan laughed but you used to be or that is well something leads me to think that you are one of the bible temperance men are you not theodore fixed a pair of full earnest unashamed eyes on the questioner's face before he said yes sir i entirely agree with habakkuk on that subject to-day as in the past well then said mr ryan dashing into the subject i'm in need of enlightenment isn't there a story in the bible about a certain wedding at which our saviour countenanced the use of wine not only by his presence but by actually furnishing the wine itself by his own miraculous power there is such a story said theodore continuing to quietly sip his coffee well how do you account for it i suppose sir you know how great and good men account for it questioned theodore oh yes i know the story by heart about two kinds of wine one intoxicating the other not and that this wine at the marriage feast was of the non-intoxicating sort but that at best is only supposition not argument i have as good a right to suppose it was intoxicating as you have to suppose it was not have you said theodore with elevated eyebrows in that we should differ then that is the very point on which i need enlightenment answered mr ryan with a good-humoured laugh won't you please proceed i presume you grant sir that it is not superstition but certainty that there were two kinds of wine in those days said theodore oh yes i'll accept that as fact well then as i am not a greek nor hebrew scholar and i understand that you are i will simply remind you of the very satisfactory and generally accepted statements of learned men concerning the two words used in those languages to express two distinct kinds of liquid 
which words were not i am told used interchangeably then i should like to pass at once to simpler and for unlearned people like myself more practical arguments do you lawyers allow your authors to interpret themselves sir certainly which is precisely what we do with the bible in a sense the same jesus who made wine of water at the marriage feast is the author of the bible and if he is divine there must be no discrepancy in its passages now i find that this same bible says wine is a mocker look not upon the wine when it is red woe to him that giveth his neighbour drink and a long array of similar and more emphatic expressions now how am i to avoid thinking either that jesus of nazareth was a mere man and a very inconsistent one at that or else that the wine at the marriage supper was not the wine with which we are acquainted and which we will not use at all until it giveth its colour in the cup and moveth itself aright mr ryan laughed still good-naturedly and said have you committed to memory the entire bible as well as habakkuk mallory but i can quote scripture too doesn't your bible read give wine to those that be of heavy hearts yes sir and according to our translation the same article is used as a symbol of god's wrath for thus saith the lord god of israel take the wine-cup of this fury at my hand does it look probable or reasonable it talks moreover about wine that maketh glad the heart of man and i leave it to your judgment whether we know anything about any such wine as that but mallory interposed mr stevens i want to question you now myself i am a genuine temperance man i have always supposed i accord with everything that you have said on the subject and still i don't believe i see the connection between wine drinking and using the article as a condiment or in my cakes and jellies well sir said theodore turning toward him brightly the same bible reads if meat maketh my brother to offend i will eat no more meat while the world stands and if we are to interpret the bible according to its spirit why doesn't it read with equal plainness if wine maketh my brother to offend but you surely do not think that an appetite for wine drinking can be cultivated from an innocent jelly theodore looked in grave surprise at his questioner as he said that remark proves sir that you were not brought up in the atmosphere which surrounded my younger days and also that you were never one of the waiters at the euclid house but that it takes much less than that to cultivate or worse to arouse an already cultivated appetite i believe all trustworthy statements that have ever been made on the subject will bear me witness mr ryan if you were a reformed drunkard seated at this table would you dare to eat that wine jelly mr ryan spoke dryly laconically but distinctly no theodore turned to mr stevens again and the second is like unto it he said speaking low and gently thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself but my neighbour isn't here answered mr stevens playfully at least not the reformed drunkard of whom you speak if he were i would be careful but if you meet him on the street to-night 
answered theodore in the same manner don't i beg of you say anything to him about his evil habits because he may ask you if you neither touch taste nor handle the accursed stuff and while you are trying to stammer out some excuse for your condiments he might suggest to you that you use the poison in your way and he uses it in his and there is many a brain that cannot see the difference between the two in which case it seems to me to become the old story if meat maketh my brother to offend mr stevens laughed he ought to have been a lawyer instead of a merchant don't you think so ryan he asked glancing admiringly at the flushed young face i told him so years ago said mr ryan theodore was roused and excited he could not let the subject drop i can conceive of another reason why a good man should not harbor such serpents in disguise he said in the pleasant half playful tone which the conversation had latterly assumed let us have it by all means answered mr stevens i am court-martialed i perceive and may as well have all the shots at once why sir what possible right can you have to beguile an innocent youth like myself to your table and tempt his unsuspecting ignorance with a quivering bit of jelly which had he known its ingredients such are his principles and his resolves and i may add such is his horror of the fiend that he would almost rather have had his tongue plucked out by the roots than to have touched it the sentence began playfully was finished in terrible earnestness with trembling voice and quivering lip there was no concealing the fact that this subject in all its details was a solemn one to him mr stevens watched for a moment the flushed earnest face this man without wife or children without home other than his wealth and his housekeeper furnished him was fast taking his confidential clerk into his inner heart he looked at him a moment then glanced down at the table mr ryan's dish of jelly and his own still remained untouched he spoke impulsively ryan are you partial to that ill-fated dish beside you not at all answered that gentleman laughingly i have conceived quite a horror for the quivering suspicious-looking lump then mr stevens's hand was on the bell thompson he said to the servant who answered his summons you may remove the jellies and the brisk waiter looked startled and confused as he proceeded to obey the order they are all right explained mr stevens kindly only we have decided to dispense with them and as the door closed upon the retreating servant the host added turning to theodore i will dispense with them as regards my table from this time forth this is my concession to your beloved cause such a bright glad look of thanks and admiration and love as his young clerk bestowed upon him in answer to this mr stevens never forgot End of chapter eighteen